Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light on our path. The entrance of His words give light, and they impart understanding to the simple. Today's topic is the serpent or the snake sign. Perhaps you never associated a snake with the Lord Jesus Christ. But believe it or not, Jesus associated himself with a snake. He did so in the very famous conversation he had with Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews who came to him at night, early in his ministry in the days of Judea. You know, the Gospel of John is built around the signs of Jesus' Messiahship. And there are at least seven miracles that come to the fore, but there are also other signs indicated in the book, signs that the Lord Jesus himself gives to his Messiahship. And we've seen one of them in the past when he cleansed the temple and when he was demanded that he give a sign as to his authority, he said to them, well, you destroyed this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, there was a very cryptic sign concerning his resurrection from the dead after they had brought about his crucifixion by hands of the Romans. It was a sign of the future because at that time he still had three and a half to four years of ministry left before he went to the cross. But this incident with Nicodemus also occurs early in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It occurs soon uh, after he takes up the mantle of his Messiahship and he goes into the Judean area and there are multiplication of signs, the signs of him healing the sick and delivering those who are oppressed to the devil that the scripture often talks about. And this is what brought Nicodemus to Jesus on that night when he came to ask him about the way of eternal life, although he didn't know that's what he was asking him. Let me read the story to you. I know you're familiar with it, but in the middle of it, Jesus gives the sign of the snake or the sign of the serpent. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what signs is he talking about? Well, if you remember, after Christ had cast the people out of the temple that were desecrating it by making it into a merchandise house, the scripture goes on to say, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Now, those signs were the ones I've already mentioned, healing of the sick and raising those uh, up from spiritual oppression that were underneath the control, temporary control of the devil himself. So Nicodemus is convinced by these signs that Jesus is a teacher, an authorized teacher from God, i.e. probably perceiving of him as a prophet. Now, when he begins his conversation with Jesus. Jesus answers him. And what, what he says uh, caught Nicodemus by surprise. Listen to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus was absolutely flustered and 
wasn't sure what to say, but this is what he said. How can a man be born when he's old? Because he, again, he has only the physical in mind. So he's thinking about how can I get back into my mother's womb and start all over again? That, that's impossible. How can a man be born when he's old? He's already here. Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so Jesus answers him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus points him to the reality of a spiritual rebirth. Now, we call this regeneration, that is, a new life that God gives it's not something that man produces. It's something that God gives. As Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Flesh gives birth to other flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. So it's God's Holy Spirit that enables one to be born again. In fact, it is the Spirit himself who produces this new birth. He is the one who brings it to pass. So Nicodemus says, well, how can these things be? He wants to know, how is this possible? What, what makes this happen? And Jesus answers him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness of what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, the you there is not just Nicodemus, it's a plural you. He means the, the Jews in general, especially the leadership of the Jews, of which uh, Nicodemus was one of the representatives. In other words, Jesus is already giving signs, and yet they do not receive them or believe the testimony that they bear to him. But he goes on to tell Nicodemus, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then here's the clincher. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus is identifying himself here as the Son of Man. That's language from the prophet Daniel. Now, it's also used by uh, Ezekiel or Jeremiah, in which, in which uh, he's referred to as Son of Man. But there, God is addressing him as simply a mortal. He's one of humanity. But when Jesus uses it, he has the Daniel reference in mind, the one whom God will entrust the kingdom to. But he goes on to say, in answer to Nicodemus' question, how can these things be? And he gives him this sign. Here it is. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, that is the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, he's talking about something that happened to Israel in the days of their wandering in the wilderness, and it involves snakes. Well, he's talking about the incidents recorded for us uh, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. And here's what that text says. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. It's talking about the route that the Hebrew people are taking. 
And the people became impatient on the way. This is a long way around. They're avoiding conflict with a group of people that are their distant relatives, the Edomites. And the people on this long way become impatient. Oh, how we need to guard against impatience in the things of God and with God uh, directing our lives and us seeking to follow after God. Sometimes we become impatient, but impatience often breeds sin. That's certainly what happened among the Hebrews. Here it says, the people became impatient on the way. As a result of that, the people spoke against God and against Moses. They're speaking against God himself, who's delivered them, and Moses, the appointed leader God's given them. And this is what they say to Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. This is after they have met God at the mount of the thundering and lightning when God gave the Ten Commandments and when God had given the old covenant uh, and delivered it to Moses who delivered it to the people. And he provided them miraculously with food from heaven to nourish them. And they called the bread, what is it? Which is manna, that's what manna means. So here they're even despising the gift that God gave them that sustains their lives. So they say, we loathe this worthless bread. But that bread was not worthless. It was miraculous bread that kept, kept them alive. Well, this is God, Yahweh, the covenant God's reaction to this. Then Yahweh sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Now, this is a living historical reality. The people sinned grievously against God by speaking against him and against Moses. And the wages of sin is death. That's what was promised to Adam in the garden. And now this is what's being demonstrated directly by God sending the fiery snakes, the venomous snakes among the people who bit the people. And many people of Israel died. Many, many people died. As this went on, the people came to Moses and they said, we have sinned because or for we have spoken against Yahweh and against you. So the judgment that God sent upon the people among them, by which many of them were dying and others would die, all of them, if something didn't happen, awakened them to the reality. We have sinned and we need to acknowledge it to God and to Moses and so they came to Moses, acknowledging their sin. We've spoken against Yahweh. We've spoken against you. Pray to Yahweh that he take away the serpents from us. In other words, they're asking Moses to go to God and ask him for mercy by stopping the infestation of the snakes that are biting the people and are killing them. And so Moses prayed for the people. Now then, here is where Jesus is taking the sign from. Yahweh says to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, will live. Now, what, what is this? A fiery snake, a fiery serpent. He is to make a fiery serpent, a bronze, a metal 
serpent. He's to take a cast. He is to make one that looks just like the snakes that are biting and killing the people and set it up on a pole so that people will look at that snake on the pole when they're bitten. And God says, if they look at it, they will live. Now, Jesus says this. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he who looked at the bronze serpent lived. That's what Moses wrote. And this is what Jesus said. He said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's talking about the Son of Man himself being lifted up on the pole. This is a reference to death by crucifixion. And Jesus is saying the reality of the new birth can come about because God is going to visit the punishment that's due the people who sinned upon me, upon me, the Son of Man, that whosoever will look upon me, the crucified Christ, may have eternal life. Now, there are other scriptures that support this. Two more I want to call your attention. John chapter 12. This is toward the end of Christ's ministry, so forward about three and a half years. And some Greeks came to the disciples asking to see Jesus. And so, I believe it is, Philip uh, took him to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, Jesus says again these kind of words. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father has taught me. That's John uh, chapter 12 and verse 32 and 34. So again, Jesus is speaking about himself being crucified, and that is the mark that he is the Savior. He is the Deliverer. It is by this not only the mark, but this is the reality of how he will deliver the people the people who've been bitten by Satan, some people who've been bitten by sin and the sin nature and all of its manifestations, who have been infested with the evil of the fall. How can people be born again? How can they be forgiven of their sins? Well, they can only be forgiven of their sins and be born again by the operation of the Spirit of God who has taken the Lord Jesus Christ as the deliverer by means of his crucifixion on the cross. Now, Paul explains this theologically in his writing to the Corinthians. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He talks about the message of reconciliation that's been invested uh, in the hands of Christians. He says, therefore, we, that is we Christians, are ambassadors for Christ, for the Messiah, God's making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus the Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see what he's saying? Jesus, the Son of Man, became that snake. 
He became that punishment of sin, that nature of sin that man has. He took it all upon himself on the cross, and as our substitute, he bore the punishment of of sin. He bore it in his own body on the cross so that those who look to him as the Redeemer and Savior will be saved. They will have the debt canceled against him. The punishment has already been executed upon him, and they shall have eternal life. Now, how is all that possible? Well, the Holy Spirit takes what Jesus Christ did in history, what he did objectively in bearing the sins of God's elect upon his own body, and he breathes upon people as they hear the word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ being taught. His holy breath breathes upon them and brings their dead spirit alive so that they look to Christ and live. They are regenerated They're brought to spiritual life, to spiritual awakening. And the first movement of that spiritual life and awakening is that they look to the Savior and they live. In other words, it produces in them the awareness of their sin and produces in them a sorrow for what they have done and how they are alienated from God. It produces in them the desire to know God. And so hearing the message, they believe And in believing, they manifest that they've been born again. And therefore, they have, through faith in Christ alone, the gift of eternal life. This is the sign Jesus gives. The sign of his own death on the cross, where he becomes the snake. He becomes the punishment that was sent to the people for their sin. But he crushed the serpent's head on the cross, and that was proven by his resurrection from the dead. He's not a dead prophet. He's not a bygone messenger. He's the living, risen, ascended Son of God, Son of Man, the Savior of all who believe in him. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights. Until next time, look to Christ and live.